Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Turn with me to Mark 10. This is going to be a real short message that um, actually, it's not even a full message. It's something the Lord put on my heart to share with our staff a week ago, and the Lord just hasn't really left me alone with it. Uh, And so we're going to revisit this for a few minutes here this morning. And Mark 10 kind of actually goes along with some of the stuff you've been hearing this morning. Um, But there was a blind man named Bartimaeus, and, uh, and this is his story. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, we're going to begin reading in verse 46. It says this, Then they came to Jericho, who is they? It's Jesus and his followers. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and now a large crowd too, right? So a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. Now, that was the place for a blind guy. Uh, when you're, when you're, you'd sit around the city gates, the entrances and exits, and, and you had a place by the road. And that caste system that Jason described this morning, that was true all the way back then. And if you were a certain place, if you were in that lowest rung, which if you were lame or uh, crippled or blind, um, you would fit into this category. You would sit at the side of the road and you would survive off the mercy and the charity of others. Now, perhaps the worst part about this condition is that society had an acceptable place for it. I think, I think that can be the most dangerous thing for our brokenness, saints. Because for as long as there was something visibly broken in somebody else, it helps us to ignore the harder to see brokenness in ourselves. And so as a society, as a culture, we love a place for brokenness, where we can sort of celebrate it, where we can charitably offer tax write-offs to it, where we can sort of, you know, feel bad for it, where we can remind our kids as we walk by, hey, you might have it bad, but at least you don't have it that bad. Or, well, yeah, you might not like it here, but at least we're not homeless, or at least we're not hungry, or at least we're not whatever. And so society back then, just like today, creates a place. And I want to say something to you this morning And uh, I don't know who's in here. This is a dark room and everyone's sort of a silhouette at this point. Enjoy this while it lasts because in a couple weeks, in a couple weeks, in a couple weeks, the Lord's going to rip the roof off. I'm just kidding. We're going to move back over into, uh, into our building. Yes. And then the next time you're here, we'll be back over there. All right, so here we go. So I can't see who's in here, but I want, before anybody leaves this morning, to take this home. Just because our culture provides a safe place for our brokenness doesn't mean we should stay broken. Just because the world has a a safe place for you in whatever's broken in your life. Now, I know we talk about a good kind of brokenness here, too. We talk about a brokenness before the Lord. Um, But here's the deal. Usually, the brokenness before the Lord is something that's broken as an act of worship to him. What he never wanted for us was a brokenness that prevents us from walking in the fullness of our destiny and our calling. 
The world does want that because here's the deal. When a bunch of believers, a bunch of spirit-filled believers are really, truly, radically healed and walking in the fullness of their calling, get out of the way, all right? Hell doesn't stand a chance, all right? So the world creates pockets. It creates places by the side of the road, around city gates. It creates places where if you have a poverty mindset or there is um, mental illness in your family or there is uh, uh, anger issues or depression or anxiety or, or fill in the blank, the world wants you to know there's a safe place for that brokenness where we can medicate it for you and we can put you on a disability and we can make sure that there's a separate classroom for your kids. Just because there's a safe place for your brokenness doesn't mean you're supposed to stay broken. All right. So when he heard, who? When Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many, the many was the large crowd that was now following him and probably some of his disciples too. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet. Shh. Anybody hate getting shushed? I know that's Pastor John's pet peeve in the world. And it's ironic that that pet peeve goes along with quite possibly the loudest voice I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) John's whisper is heard for miles, you know, but it's good because you have to walk with that kind of authority. Oh, Lord help us. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. And so they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage and stand up. He's calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, weird question. What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. This is such a cool story. I want to just make a couple points before we leave today. First of all, in verse 47, it says, when he heard it was Jesus, he cried out, Jesus, son of David. Now to us 2,000 years later, we're we're like sort of aware of of this, um, you know, this title. You know, they would call him a rabbi. They would call him teacher. They would call him uh, master, right? And occasionally, somebody would shout out from across the crowd, Jesus, son of David. Now, why was this so important 2,000 years ago was because this blind man in all of his brokenness made the connection between Jesus, the man, and Jesus, the fulfillment of prophecy. He waded past all of the cliches, which, by the way, even in Jesus' day, there were cliches. Even in Jesus' day, there were were Pharisees who were talking about him, and there were followers who got jaded because he didn't answer their prayers the way that he wanted them to. And there were people who used to sit under his teaching, and then he started teaching some wonky stuff that chafed with their theology, and so they said, oh, that guy. So there were cliches. And I want to ask you this morning, has Jesus become a cliche to you? It's Christmas time. This is like, this is ironically, it's the most important time to understand who Jesus is as a fulfillment of prophecy. 
And yet, also probably the strongest grip of neutralizing the power of his name. Jesus is the reason for the season. Shut up. Say something meaningful. Don't walk around saying stupid stuff. Walk around and say, hey, Jesus can set you free. That little baby that was born in that manger, he can cast out every broken, ugly, gross thing in your life and bring total healing. My God, if we weren't afraid to offend people, you know what I'm saying? It's Christmas time, and he's a cliche. Maybe, maybe it's how his name is spoken profanely. Maybe you've heard people mutter under their breath or, or scream out in traffic or, you know, and, and just, just recklessly, grossly talk about the Lord and use his name. Or maybe it's Hollywood. Maybe it's shows and movies and, and songs and, and, and whatever it is. I want you to know it's not a passive intent to dilute the name of Jesus for us. It is active and intentional and strategic so that we stop believing in the power of his name and the power of the prophecy he fulfilled. When Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, son of David, saints, we've got to get this. We've got to digest this. He is saying, this man is the Messiah. This man is the, is the blood going all the way back. This man is the reason why we have a relationship with God. This man is the fulfillment of every law we've ever tried to follow. This man is the son of God. Now, even that, it can become cliche. I did this with my SOS class. We talked about um, worship and how worship is so much... Um, it requires so much more of us today than maybe it did 500 years ago uh, or 500 years before that or maybe even 50 years ago because here's why. Because every word, every explicative that we could use to describe the majesty and wonder of God has been used to describe tennis shoes or a hamburger at a fast food place. There was a time when you sang amazing grace, how sweet the sound, because there was nothing else in your life as amazing as the grace of God. But now, like the sale at the mattress store is amazing. And so it's like, mm, grace mattress. So, so what we've done is we, we've built a bridge to our wonder and our reverence and our awe and our fear of God to everything else out there. And now everything's amazing. And, and so I think the challenge for us is maybe like Bartimaeus, find a way to make it real. Ask the Lord, God, what is the prophecy fulfilled in my life because Jesus was the son of David? You see, David was the one who, who God made that covenant with, upon your throne there will always be a man and I will always give him victory. And so for Jesus to be in the lineage of David, Bartimaeus is acknowledging, you are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords, and you are the covenant. You are the covenant. Son of David, 
Connect Jesus, saints. Connect him. Keep connecting him. Right through Christmas as a smack in the face to every uh, commercialized marketing scam with the nativity out there, connect him to the fact that he is God's prophetic fulfillment of promise. We need to make that connection. Amen? Okay, so let's keep going. Why does Jesus ask this? So between Bartimaeus crying out and being confronted by the Lord, something very important happens. So he's crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And right before the Lord stops and a couple of red letters flow by, he says, hey, bring him over here. Something important happens, and it's this. The crowd goes, quiet, know your place. There's a place for you. Yes, we want you to beg, just not too loudly. Don't sound too desperate, or you're going to give Jericho a bad name that its beggars aren't taken care of. Shh. Stop acting so desperate. We make sure that you have everything you need. I find this interesting because, well, you guys know my theory on crowds. And it's not really a theory. I mean, it's pretty biblically sound. I'm going to run it by the Fuentes real quick. Is it or is it not biblical that the crowd is always wrong? Basically, yeah, that's a safe Bible school answer. That's a safe Bible school answer. Anybody in ministry and young lady from North Point, you, yes, you learn from these two. Like when you see somebody on stage, like you don't ever want to agree with everything just like blindly, Okay. So, yes, my staff has to agree with me. So I thought, I thought I just heard some murmurings over it. They don't. And they don't. Trust me. They actually don't. But he says, he cries out. He gets desperate. He gets loud, as somebody would who truly wanted to make that connection with Jesus, the way we talked about. And the crowd shushes him. The crowd is always wrong. Until we get to heaven and we are the great cloud of witnesses, the crowd is always wrong. And even if in and of themselves, there are people who probably would have put some money in his cup. Maybe individually, there are people who would have had mercy on him and who would have charitably given to him and helped provide for him and the other beggars on the road. Collectively, as a crowd, we, we begin to have a mind of our own, and we have to be so careful about that because it's contagious and it's addictive. And what ends up happening is, is people who came out when they heard Jesus was coming on the triumphal entry and throwing out their coats and waving palm branches saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Well, three days later, that crowd became the same ones who were saying, crucify him. We want Barabbas. And so we've got to be so careful. And in fact, I would encourage you like, like, intentionally oppose whatever the crowd is doing. Intentionally ask the question. Don't be just, a, don't let somebody else speak for you. Don't, don't let me speak for you as a pastor. Have your own faith. Have your own confidence in your own faith. Some of you, you're adults and you're here because of your parents' faith. And it's still not yours yet. And now you're raising a generation that's twice removed from faith. Don't leave it up to your parents to teach your kids about who Jesus is. 
I don't even know where that point came from. It's just, there's stuff in here. I don't have time for this. So we're just going to, we're going to do this right now. All right. So here's what happens. So Jesus asks him, because I think that for a split second, the crowd, the power of that crowd, the roar of that crowd, the decibels of that crowd turning their attention on Bartimaeus to remind him that he was blind, to remind him that he was a beggar, to remind him that they had already made a place for him by the side of the road begging. I think that in that split second, that was the enemy's one last Hail Mary to keep Bartimaeus broken. Because when Jesus looks at him and says, what do you want me to do for you? What he's really asking is, do you just want more change in your cup? Do you just want another scrap of bread? Do you want what you've always wanted, which is just enough to survive another day? Or do you want me to touch your brokenness? See, when Bartimaeus cries out, as many of us, when we're in touch with our brokenness and we know what's really going on, we're not afraid. We'll cry out. We'll scream. It'll get messy. We'll weep and snot all over these altars. But so often, that crowd, and sometimes it comes in a a throng of people. Sometimes it comes in a text message. Sometimes it comes as a whisper. Sometimes it comes from somebody who loves you so much and really genuinely wants what's best for you. They just weigh off. But they remind you who you are. They remind you who you've been. And they remind you of your place. But when Jesus asked that question, Everything gets quiet. And it forces Bartimaeus to make a decision. And old Bart makes the right one. I think he has to think about it for a second because as he stands up, well, I love this because, first of all, what does the crowd say to him when Jesus says, no, get me that guy. Who's calling my name? They say, stand up, right? He's calling for you. And Bartimaeus stands up, drops his cloak, and runs. Have you ever seen a blind guy run? (laughs) Through a crowd of people? I'm just saying, it's a meme waiting to happen. The point is, Bart doesn't care. He doesn't care. And so when he gets there, reminding himself that he was blind the whole way there, (laughs) tripping and falling and grabbing people's shoulders and people pushing him out of the way and everything. He gets up there to Jesus. And when Jesus says, what do you want me to do? It's because he's picking up on that internal battle. It was inside Bartimaeus and it's inside all of us. A battle between what the world tells us we need and what Jesus really wants us to have. The world tells you you need more change in your cup. The world tells you you need whatever the second or third or fourth opinion doctor is going to prescribe for you. 
The world tells you you need another 100 hours with a therapist. The world tells you you need uh, to go and fill in the blank for your problem, to numb that pain. But the Lord wants to heal your brokenness. Would you stand with me this morning? See, the thing about Bartimaeus is he knew who he believed in, but he had to be asked what he was believing for. And there's a big difference. I think a lot of Christianity has settled to answer the question, who do you believe in? I believe in Jesus. Why? Somebody told me that he died for me. I don't want to go to hell. Okay. Can we like check that box? Now, what are you believing for? What are you believing for? What I, what I love about Bartimaeus right here is he doesn't say, I just want God's will for my life. I was telling the staff, I was, I was that guy. Can I just tell you my entire North Point slash Zion Bible Institute. I still call it Institute because I feel institutionalized. Um, my entire time there, my prayer was, God, I just don't want to miss your will. I just don't want to miss your will. God, I just want to miss your will. And there was a place for me. There was a place. There was a place. There was a place for, you know, washed up rock stars that God called to Bible school. And it was right over here. There was an organ. I played the organ in every chapel service. And there was a place at the altar right here. I'm going to start crying if I get down here. There was an organ, and I would break into the chapel because you could break in because everybody knew the one door that you could pull hard enough on and put your foot in the right place and flip at the bird, and it opened up. And so I would break into chapel at 6 every morning, and chapel started at 8, and from 6 to 8, I would pray. And, I mean, there's probably still to this day, like, a mildew ring stain of, like, my tears here because... I was afraid I was going to miss God's will. And so I prayed his will. God, just let your will, your will. I don't want to miss it. I'm going to miss it. God, your will. I don't know where the bad teaching came from. And to this day, there are times that I feel led by the spirit to pray, God, let your will be done. But that's only because I don't know what else to pray for. There are other places where the spirit of God convicts me. And it sounds like this. You do know what to pray for. I've already showed you what to pray for. I've already revealed my plan for your life. Stop acting like you don't know me. Stop acting like you don't know what I'm capable of. As we shared this with the staff, I felt, I felt convicted again of how easy it is to revert back how sometimes the crowd, sometimes the chaos, sometimes the confusion, it causes us to backpedal in our faith. Not about who we believe in, but about what we're believing for. And first and foremost, before we go out of here this morning, I believe that the Lord wants to restore vision in this room. Your eyes might be able to see, but your spirit, man, has been blinded. 
and the world wants to keep it that way. And maybe even your church experience wants to keep it that way. But you are on a collision course with Jesus Christ this morning. And if you'll let him ask you the hard question of what are we believing for? And if you'll be bold enough to know what's really been broken and what really needs to be restored, I believe he will give you that vision back. If you're in the house this morning and that's you and you need that vision restored for your life, would you step out of your seat and meet me down here this morning? Vision for your marriage, vision for your calling, for your ministry, vision for the next season, sight. Vision's not always like this big, take a couple steps forward as you come down. Vision's not always this big like, oh, it doesn't sound cool when I say it like it does for somebody else. It doesn't sound like something that should go on a bumper sticker or a banner or whatever. No, you know what vision really is? Forget a vision, forget the definite article for you grammatically, you know, legalistic people. Let's just talk about vision period, the ability to see. Can your spirit see? Can you see why Jesus was even coming through Jericho in the first place? You see, there was another time when the people of God were leaving Jericho. And it was after the walls fell. And as, and as the people of God, as the Hebrews pressed on into the promised land, there was one man who had lost his ability to see. His name was Achan. And so he took a little bit. He took a little bit in fear. And he buried it under his tent. And that became his foundation. He turned his attention to something else. He turned his attention to a few more coins in a cup, to a, a crust of bread to keep him alive one more day. And it brought death on his family, his inability to see. And I believe that for many of us, we are the product of maybe another generation's inability to see, to truly see. But I want you to know that Jesus, son of David, is in the room this morning. Jesus, son of David, is here. And he's asking you, what do you really want? Can you take just a couple more steps forward? I know you're like, is this part of it? No, I just, just to make some room here. We're gonna dismiss in just a second, everybody back there. But if you're down here, you're not going anywhere. I'm gonna invite Pastor John and our intercessory team to come down. And I wanna make sure that no one is praying for anyone at this altar who has not been vetted by Pastor John and on the team, okay? We will ask you to stop. But I'm gonna have Pastor John and the prayer team, our altar team come down. But the most important thing to search your heart for this morning is to get past the crowd, to get past the noise, to get past the titles, to get past the labels, to get past the curses that have been spoken over you your entire life and to find the brokenness that he wants to heal and let him restore that vision.
we'll go ahead and invite our worship team to come and our prayer team to come and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus and we thank you for the cross and we thank you that when we call on his name, we are saved and our eternity is secure in you. But Lord, our prayer this morning is that we don't stop at who we believe in, but that we would be a people who press back into what we're believing for. That we would be a people who never lose our grip on who Jesus is as the fulfillment of everything you've promised us, Father. And so it's in his name that we pray. It's in his name and in this covenant that we cry out. It's in, it's in his blood that we find our desperation for righteousness met. And so we come today asking for sight, asking for vision, believing, Lord, that, that just because somewhere along the way we identified with our brokenness more than we did the blessing that you have for us, God, that, that it's not over for us. Just because maybe we've lost months or years or decades sitting by the side of the road convinced that that was our place in our lot. healing in Indonesia and your healing here. And God, it's, it's our desire that you would be glorified. Lord, through the fulfillment of what you've already shown us a glimpse of. Some of you, you're in the room and the Lord already showed you a glimpse of something. You've already begun to see it but you're afraid to pray for it. You're afraid to ask for it. You're afraid to believe for it. You're afraid that you're not good enough for it or that, well, if I get radical about this and then it doesn't happen, what's that gonna look like? Today is the day when you stop caring what that's gonna look like. Today is the day when we become faithful to pray how the Lord's already led us to pray. Lord, help us to pray that way. Let faith arise. Let faith arise. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.